This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Tuesday, the 5th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, domestic politics seems to be heating up again. I speak to Sam Hibbins from the Victorian Greens about their priorities, both in Victoria and nationally. You might remember that back in March, we spoke with the drag performer Bathsheba, and today we have a follow-up on how they've been getting on during the Great Pause. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Tuesday, April 5th. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is joining a national cabinet today to discuss the possibility of a trans-Tasman bubble. This would mean Australians and New Zealanders could travel between countries without the 14-day quarantine period, though the bubble is unlikely to come into effect any time soon. Today's national cabinet meeting will also discuss the COVID Safe app, something New Zealand may be looking to replicate. A fundraising campaign spearheaded by the European Commission has raised over $12.5 billion to fight COVID-19. The fund will be used to help research on vaccines and other treatments for the virus. Prime Minister Scott Morrison pledged $353 million on behalf of Australia. The United States, China and Russia chose not to take part in the international fund. New figures are projecting the United States will see over 130,000 COVID-19 deaths by early August. These new figures come as a result of states easing their restrictions and people in the US moving around more. Daily tallies of COVID-19 cases in Russia have surpassed 10,000 for the second day in a row, bringing the country's total to over 145,000. There are concerns hospitals could be overrun with cases as these new numbers represent a steep increase in the rate of infection. It is believed there could be many more cases of COVID-19 than are being reported, with Moscow's mayor saying he thinks there is potentially 250,000 cases in his city alone. Japan is extending its state of emergency for another month amid the still rapidly growing number of COVID-19 cases. The state of emergency was set to finish tomorrow. The extension has been put in place to ensure hospitals do not become overwhelmed with patients as the rate of infection has not slowed down enough. Japan currently has over 15,000 cases with 550 deaths. A cultural centre in Sydney, Carriage Works, has become the first major arts company to close down because of COVID-19, having gone into administration yesterday. The company generated 75% of its revenue through special events and programs, all of which were cancelled after the lockdown restrictions came into effect. This closure comes as people in the arts and entertainment sector criticise the lack of government support they are receiving. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. After a summer of bushfires and now COVID-19, there's been a lot of bipartisan cooperation in Australia. But domestic politics seem to be heating up again. 
There's a sharp uptick in partisan debate, rumblings of dissatisfaction with the national cabinet process. I spoke to Sam Hibbins, Greens MP for Pran in the inner Melbourne suburbs, about what the Victorian Greens' priorities are. What's your take on the national cabinet process? Yeah, well, look, the Greens uh, were very supportive of having uh, a national approach to dealing with the coronavirus. It was something we were advocating for prior to the national cabinet um, being set up. Um, You know, there does need to be collaboration across the states. There does need to be some consistency where possible um, with a lot of the changes that are being made. So certainly we were supportive of having a national approach. But isn't this a lot like the old COAG process? I mean, like, there are already methods that have worked in Australia for setting this up and it's so it's so different mm. yeah well look I think it was important to um, set up a, a national cabinet that was dealing with specifically with the coronavirus I think that's an important step to take um, what the Greens really were keen to see is given the uh, extraordinary nature of some of the uh, rules and laws that are being put in place and the, the powers that governments are granting themselves uh, it was really ensuring that there was proper oversight, um, making sure that governments are held to account for the decisions that they're making um, and making sure that democracy still continues, which is particularly important given the extraordinary powers. So uh, we're very keen to see Parliament continue to sit uh, and um, we're very supportive, pushing, pushed very hard uh, to ensure that we had uh, oversight committees uh, looking into how governments are handling the coronavirus. Now, that was something we pushed for both federally and at a state level. At a state level, the Victorian government weren't initially keen to see that happen, uh, but we're glad now that we are having uh, uh, the Public Accounts and Estimates Committee, which I'm a part of, uh, will be doing our inquiry into the government's response to COVID-19. When is the state budget scheduled at this point? Uh, so that's now been pushed back to till October. Uh, Parliament did have has had one sitting uh, a few weeks ago where we passed uh, supply bills, appropriation bills that um, gave supply and also um, uh, allocated or allowed the government to access, I think it's around $24 billion uh, that's going to assist with post-COVID recovery as well. Uh, but then the official, the formal budget won't come down until October, which is you know a delay of around, I think, six months than what it usually would. What are you seeing in your local area as far as people responding to lockdown and COVID-19? Well, look, I think it's been really interesting. I think generally, overwhelmingly, the community uh, has responded really well. Um, I think this has been a time when the community has has really, um, obviously, we're in our homes, but in in many ways has come together to make sure that we're fighting this. Uh, But where, where, where we're seeing the stress is really within renters, both residential renters and commercial renters. Uh, where we have been, because where we have been disappointed with the government's actions is I don't think they've gone far enough to support renters, uh, both residential and commercial. So uh, the government's proposal is that essentially uh, tenants uh, have to go to their landlords and negotiate um, some sort of reduction, uh, but we're hearing a lot of cases where landlords simply aren't coming to the party uh, and there's going to be situations where even though they can't be evicted now, uh, could be facing massive debts and possible evictions once uh, once the six-month time limit is up. So uh, that's where our concerns, a lot of our advocacy is going into, making sure that renters, that people aren't, aren't left with, settled with massive debts or potentially kicked out of their, their homes because of this crisis. Uh, well, I think it certainly needs to be definitely much more, uh, I think the favour weighted much more 
in favour of tenants. Uh, and there does need to be more financial support provided to tenants who are facing hardship. Uh, the current amount doesn't work out to, to much at all, quite frankly, and the eligibility is, uh, I, I think, is probably too narrow in that regard. So uh, there does need to be, and I think we may also need to see some sort of mandated rental holidays and rent relief, uh, because otherwise we're just going to find, you know, I think we're going to find ourselves coming to the end of this, uh, where some tenants just haven't had a landlord that's come to the party and assisted them, and they're going to be facing massive debts and mass- massive debts and possible eviction. Oh, what's keeping you busy while we're while oh. we're at home? What's what's working for you? Well, <laughs> well look, and, and from my perspective, I mean, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of correspondence. So, in my office, while everyone's working from home, um, <clears throat> we're having a lot of correspondence um, from uh, residents, particularly as I said, from tenants who are facing difficulties. Uh, with their current situation, uh, so makes that uh, responding to them and making sure that uh, we're advocating on behalf of them. Uh, we're also looking at my uh, personally. I'm looking at my portfolio responsibilities of education and transport. Uh, I think with education, obviously schools are um, having to operate remotely. Um, my concern around there is for uh, the world. Obviously, I think that's that needs to be done. But there's my concern is around the well-being of disadvantaged students who don't have access to the internet or uh, their uh, home life doesn't allow them to um, uh, learn from home, uh, making sure that they don't fall through the cracks. And with transport, I think we've seen around the world, we're seeing a lot of cities uh, really facilitate the, the uplift in the amount of people who are both riding and walking around. Uh, you'll notice a lot of our parks are now filled with, filled with people exercising or just getting around which is making social distancing difficult. <clears throat> Around the world, we're seeing cities allocate more space to cyclists and pedestrians, but we're not seeing that in Melbourne. So I'm really keen to... I'm advocating for that and really keen to see that happen, not only in the short term, but I think in the long term as well. And finally, uh, one of the areas that we're looking at is what's what's taking up a lot of, um, I guess, my thoughts as well is, is, you know, where do we go after this? What's our society going to look like after coronavirus and I think there's a real obviously we're going to be facing some economic difficult times some economic hardships how do we create a better society Uh, what can we do to uh, get our economy working for everyone what can we invest in Uh, and not only creating more jobs but actually creating a fairer society and, and, and assisting our environment as well I mean we've got a climate crisis to still to deal with we've got a homelessness crisis to deal with uh, we really need to be investing in those big nation-building projects like building more public housing, like building more renewable energy. Uh, these are the things that we're looking at. And I think these are going to be really critically important uh, to see how we actually how how we respond after this crisis. Do you think it's fair to say that it sounds like you're cautiously optimistic that you know the Great Pause may change the way that people think and and do business permanently for the better? I think so. You know, I think so. I think there has been, uh, I think, you know, uh, in many ways a, a, a mind uh, shift. Uh, and I think we saw that a lot after the um, summer bushfires as well. And I think it really is on um, people's minds. And I think people have actually been heartwarming to see how, um, you know, communities can come together to overcome issues, uh, can overcome problems. And I think now we're looking at, you know, just how, how can we create a better society? How can we create a better place to live in? 
I mean, we've seen <clears throat> we've seen you know extraordinary circumstances. We've seen you know the the um, welfare payments doubled. We've seen childcare provided for free. Um, these are things that you couldn't have imagined that would have happened before this crisis that have happened. Uh, and it just shows you what is actually possible. Uh, you got me thinking about bushfires. I mean, it seems like it was three years ago at this point. So much has happened since then. What sort of, how, how are you keeping the focus on people? How are you making sure that people whose lives were really affected by bushfires are getting the help that they need? Well, that is it. I mean, it's, a, it's really difficult, I think, for a lot of the bushfire affected communities. <clears throat> a lot of them are tourism. Uh, their econ- a lot of their economies are based on tourism. Uh, and obviously, there was a big push to get people travelling out to the, these bushfire affected communities once the fires that uh, fires were over um, to, to reinvigorate those communities. But obviously, they're not being out like all other industries. They're all being closed down as well. So it's a double hit for them. So they've really got to be, I think, on, on um, the government's radar coming out of this. Uh, and I think there's probably potentially opportunities there if international travel is still being um, banned, which I suspect will be for quite some time. I think there's some real opportunities there for domestic tourism. That was Sam Hibbins, MP for Paran in Victoria. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9. That's totally mild with their song Today, Tonight. 
This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Whether you're calling this period lockdown, circuit breaker, or the great pause, we're certainly living in really unusual times. To find out how they've been getting on, I spoke to drag performer Bathsheba, who we spoke with in March, to see how they're going through all of this. Yeah, well, we've been going forward with uh, part of our Footscray live streams, which have been called Pride Live. So now they've branched out and they have bingo on a Wednesday as well. So that's going quite well for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, aside from that, I've been doing my own projects on Instagram. Uh, It started off with this little impro session where I was Joe Exotic. (laughs) 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 And I did that to Katy Perry's Raw. I just did that in my basement just um, because that was a big hit at the time. And it's crazy to think that was like two months ago. And we're now here. It feels like time's flown really quickly. At the same time, I feel like a lot's happened. Mm. And I was lucky enough to perform with Puff Duff um, at their live stream, which they do from Chases. And yeah, I've been, I've been doing uh, isolation transformations as well, which is pretty much me turning into celebrities. Um, I did a little Michael Jackson thing, which spooked the neighbors <laughs> on the balcony dangling a baby and i did a little gwyneth paltrow parody called and i goop oh. so, <laughs> so i've been a little busy are you enjoying having quiet time or is it driving you mad um i think a little bit of both i think i've been going mad but at least that's become a part of the project as well i don't think um before covid i would have thought to do Michael Jackson, for instance. Um, I think, yeah, in this time as well, I've tried to step away a little bit and hone my craft, use the the time to be able to do that. And I know that Pride's doing something similar because they've been using the downtime to renovate the venue. So when Mm. we're in post-COVID, there'll be a fancy new floor and things like that. So, yeah, I've noticed a lot of artists are doing that, just taking the time to to step away and reevaluate what their what their drag is about mm. and yeah take the time to to hone in on the craft have you found anything that's sort of unexpectedly good about this time um unexpectedly good i don't know i think i've tried to have the attitude of making uh the lemons that we've been given into lemonade so i think being able to do acts that i usually wouldn't be able to do for a live audience is a good opportunity to explore that, like slower songs. Um, I've also been experimenting with incorporating projection into into performances as well. Mm-hmm. And you don't often get to do that in a live show, particularly in a venue when like, they have stage lighting and drunk people. Um, you don't really get to do something that's so sensitive. Yeah. So I guess that's an opportunity to do that, just to explore content that you can't really do when you have a live audience. What about the financial aspect? Um, I know that a lot of people setting up live streams have a PayPal aspect, so they donate um, whatever the, the profits are in equal measure to all the performers or everyone involved. <laughs> um, I'm lucky enough to have employment at this time, so I've been donating any money back that I've been receiving back into the project. Mm. I know that there's artists that um, don't have that. So if I can give back in that way, that's the least thing that I can do. Um, but I think that's pretty much the common way to do it is a PayPal donation. Yep. 
Um, I know that Pride have something similar as well, where they have a telethon aspect usually. So the, um, the performers split the profit amongst the bar as well. So mm. whatever way people can make money by doing that, I highly encourage people to donate because a lot of people are in quite dire scenarios right now if they're not lucky enough to have employment at this time. So the, that's definitely something that I'd encourage viewers yep. to do if they have the same money. Where do you think this will take drag performances? What, what do you think the future holds? I think uh, there's a positive twist in all this where I think that drag performance now has an audience online that they didn't have before. I think prior to this, people would look to, to drag artists simply just for makeup um, tutorials. And now I think um, a lot of really prominent queens, like even RuPaul's Drag Race contestants, <clears throat> Uh, creating digital drag, which has an audience that they didn't really have before. Mm-hmm. And I think in that, people are really stepping up the visuals uh, just to create a world around what they're doing and to make it a real holistic experience, not just um, about people being drunk in a bar. It's sort of light entertainment. I think people are seeing it a little bit more seriously now because the, the, the medium has really stepped it up. And mm-hmm. I know that... Um, even people like Alaska, Katia, Detox, and Roxy Andrews recreated their um, top four lip sync from All Stars 2. And I think that's something that people wouldn't have really paid attention to before, or it would have been quite light and fluffy, mm. where there's that, even some contestants from Dracula doing something really interesting <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm definitely watching uh, what other people are doing as well. So mm. I'm really entertained by what, what's going on. And yeah, I guess that's that's just where we are. We don't really have any other options right now. So I'm mm. I'm really inspired by seeing what other people are doing. So I was watching something like season six, Drag Race, and there's this one bit where someone's talking about like, you know, I go down to the bar and I do this performance, blah, blah, blah. And rewatching it, I was really struck at how strange that seemed. Because like that the only place that this art form was practiced at that point was um in alcohol venues but now yeah there's like a democratization or maybe a broadening of venues and that you know we've got drag queen story time which is a total opposite to you know an 11 p.m show with someplace with sticky floors do you think that's going to continue i hope so because it's it's an awful lot of fun being able <laughs> to perform <laughs> in that environment so i definitely think there'll always be a home for that but i think in a good way uh, the the live experience will be enhanced um, sort of as an effect of what's going on with what people are doing now. Mm. And I think that'll improve the, the performance, I think. And there might be a bit of a drag apocalypse. And I think a lot of drag queens may lose interest at this time because they get their... Um, uh, they get the inspiration or they get their energy from doing it live and mm-hmm. maybe they'll lose interest or whatever. But then you have artists that have always created really interesting work and I know another drag race example is Sasha Velour and I don't mm-hmm. really associate what she does with sticky floors or um hens parties getting up and <laughs> shimmying in her face but um <laughs> but I might pay to see that <laughs> oh absolutely like every every drag performer loves being interrupted by a drunk hen they'll all tell you that so yeah i think um i think yeah i think the the live experience will definitely be enhanced the skills that people have been working on Mm -hmm. in this time and i can only see it as a positive 
Yeah. So maybe it was some sort of cosmic fate that um, in some weird way that the, the virus was just out to have us drag performers improve our craft. I don't know. That's my, um, my perspective on that. Well, and if you're doing it like in front of a camera from home, you don't necessarily have to wear uh, painful shoes or, you know, tuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's another positive as well. You can just focus all your love into the camera and have a bump your penis fling around in your underwear totally free. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to find size 14 shoes. Um, <laughs> exactly. I suppose that's a way you could measure um, how much drag has grown is in availability of large shoes yeah absolutely mm. i think even a couple of years ago it was a lot harder to find uh, appropriate footwear but now they have like shoe me gorgeous which mm-hmm. is a website i think it's melbourne based uh where you can find pretty much any shoe size so yeah i also mm. think a lot of makeup uh comes from drag performers as well i know like heavy duty stuff like Crayola and yep. definitely is um had a bit of a profit from drag performers getting their, mm. their foundation from there. What's next for you? What are you looking forward for the rest of the year? I'm definitely looking forward to eventually going back into to doing live stuff um, and incorporating the lessons that I've learned and skills that I've learned during this downtime. So that's something I'm definitely excited about doing again. But in the interim, I'm just going to keep um, experimenting with visuals um, see what other celebrities I can uh, transform into and make fun of. <laughs> and, yeah, I think um, collectively, I think everyone's really really craving a night out. So yeah. I think when we eventually get back into the venues, it's going to be quite a euphoric experience. So mm. I'm definitely looking forward to being a part of that as well as performing in that environment. And when you get so much stimulation um, and now you've, you don't have that, it's like a... It's a dopamine fast almost. Um, that's got to be pretty hard. What What's kept you going when you're at a bit of a breaking point? Well, I think you asked earlier uh, whether mm. I've been going crazy. And the answer is yes. And I think putting that energy into a creative project uh, is probably the best thing to do. Um, I know a lot of people don't have that motivation right now, which is fine too. Like No one's saying that everyone has to be okay or everyone has to be productive or not, this is whatever people can do to, to get through this time. If that's um, sort of mm. taking some time to chill and just stepping away from drag, that's totally fine as well. But I think with the creative energy that I have does come from being quite bored and the options were either to do something positive or to sort of implode and mm. uh, be quite devastated around it. And I think we're at the time now where we can definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel. And even a couple of months ago, that was definitely not the case i think everyone was thinking the world was going to end mm-hmm. and there'd be no venues and there'd be no drag and what a depressing apocalypse we're in but mm. yeah i think just putting that creative energy to a good purpose has helped me through mm. well that's great is there anything you'd like to add um i'd encourage everyone out there to support not just a drag the sea online but any art form there's you know singer songwriters there's playwrights there's people making fashion um so any way that you can support and if you have the extra income to donate any money just to make sure that we sustain our arts that Mm -hmm. would be fantastic and i'd love anyone to be able to do that if they can great well beth sheba thank you so much for your time today and um, i look forward to your next performance thank you for having me a pleasure that's beth sheba speaking to me this morning 
That's it for us today. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts. We'll be back tomorrow, live on tape from my lounge room. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.